Michael Freak from Seattle, that city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia. I'm Greg. I'm here with Brian. Hi, Brian. Hey, Greg. I'm on the boat uh, alone. Uh, it's not not my preferred <laughs> change, state, but uh, I mean, for podcasting, it you know, it's not my preferred. I do prefer to just be on the boat alone most of the time. That's true. Uh, but anyway, it's weird how inevitabilities become preferences over time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, God. That really does. A, wow. Just like my parents lives flashed before my eyes just now. Um, uh, anyway, uh, let's, let's cut the rest of the bullshit because we are joined this evening uh, very generously by the stranger writer on the city desk. Hannah Krieg. Here uh, on the Zencaster feed with us. Uh, thanks for coming on, Hannah. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Hannah writes about the city at The Stranger. Uh, we've really appreciated your writing for the past, like, well, how, wait, how, how long have you been covering the city there now? Almost a year, 11 months, I guess. Oh, so man. That, I mean, doing that as a job, like, we've been insane as a hobby for like many years now doing this podcast where we like followed, follow the city and its politics, it's goings on like very closely to be honest, less closely recently, just because I don't know I, if I can fucking take it anymore. Like I can't, it's, <laughs> it's hard to bring myself to really like keep up with it all because it's just so, um, insane making uh like you know I, I i i don't know uh your uh predecessor at the stranger natalie graham you know who also for years did really good reporting um she was always sensible enough never to respond to my dms about coming on the show <laughs> um but i gotta imagine like doing this job must like come with some level of burnout you know like, how are you doing after a year? Like, are, how are you holding up? Uh, how insane are you driven? Have you been driven by, like, actually having to watch, like, city press conferences and follow, like, <laughs> the bullshit of the goings on wow. at City Hall? I really appreciate this, like, mental health check at the beginning of the pod. That's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> sick, actually. Uh, I don't throw myself too much of a pity party, but, you know, it is a little, like, I can't look at a a crack in the sidewalk without thinking who's responsible for this and how can I email them? But, you know, um, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, that, you could just be a homeowner and have that instinct. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it does make me feel like a old lady who is at city council complain about something that is so abstract, but, um, yeah, I mean, I like my job and sometimes it's all consuming, but I, I'm enjoying being consumed so far. It seems like. Well, you're getting paid to do this. I mean, I hope you are. I mean, who knows yeah. what the state of journalism these days. The old ladies at the city council meetings and me and Brian, we're just cranks. You know? <laughs> just love of the game. <laughs> just We're just crazy for the fun of it. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's why we wanted to have you on. Because, again, like, I don't know if I can. I, I just haven't felt like I've been able to. uh really like take it all in over the last year mm -hmm. and i know that you have because the little that i have taken in has been your work in the stranger that's how i am sort of to the degree i am following like what goes on in the city so 
something I think we want to talk about today is uh, obviously it's been the number one story in Seattle for a long time. Housing, homelessness, however you want to frame it. Obviously, we have ours. Um, and uh, you've had the pleasure, I guess, of covering this story under the, you know, for the first year of this new administration, uh, Mayor Harrell and his gang. What is your sense in what are we like three quarters in of the Harrell administration? Like, is there a way, is there some way you can sum up either their strategy, either on like a real level, like are they doing different things or are they saying they're doing different things about the housing crisis and the homelessness crisis on the streets? whether that's like materially, rhetorically, politically, and to the degree, if it has, that that's changed at all from, from the Durkin administration? Like, uh, are they talking about it in different ways? Is it a, just a tonal shift? Like, what, mm. what sense do you have, like, checking in uh, on the Herald administration? I can't really bother myself to follow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to compare um, Durkin to Harold just because, like, a lot of Durkin's um, homelessness response like was interrupted by the pandemic. Like mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. less sweeps because of the pandemic. Right. And um, also the King County Regional Homelessness Authority just kind of came onto the scene. And so they kind of have all the contracts now for homelessness. But I would say like Durkin and Harrell have a pretty similar approach um, to housing and homelessness. Harrell seems a little more receptive to what the council is going to say. Um, a little more receptive to trying to find more more money for housing, but he's you know been a big fan of sweeps, big fan of dashboards to track those sweeps, um, and <laughs> mm-hmm. pretty responsive to the people who are um, bothered by looking at homeless rather than bothered by experiencing homelessness. Is what I would yeah. sum it up yeah. as. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, one, of course, the city of Seattle loves a dashboard, you know, so (laughs) if something's ever going to get funded in this fucking city, it's a dashboard. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, going through your articles, I mean, you just can't help but notice uh, who gets paid attention to and who doesn't. I mean, we'll get we'll talk about this encampment Aurora a little more in depth, but it's very interesting that this encampment is there for several years without a problem. And then all of a sudden, a, a local business is like, uh, there's uh, th- th- break-ins or something. You know, like, something's been stolen from us, so uh, the homeless got to go, right? And now, all of a sudden, the city's like, time to send the full court press, <laughs> get rid of them. You know, uh, business, homeowners, they definitely have Harold's ear. But uh, if you're one of these unfortunate people living in these places, I guess you're just fucked, right? Yeah. Y'all, you've got is the stranger's ear. And... Uh... Wish that was wish that was worth more. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like they're going. It's just uh, conveniently the pandemic ended when the day Harold came in. So um, <laughs> I remember seemed, voting it out. <laughs> it seems like uh, they've just yeah gone back to pretty much exactly the same as it was say yeah like three years ago, which is sweeps and uh, dashboards. The Innovation Council uh, drumming up. Uh, you know, scintillating new ideas for how to track uh, where people are going, what they need, and how much of it we don't have, and uh, basically getting people out of public view. What I would, I would maybe like this this Harold this Bruce Harold quote that you have in here. I just think it's so good, and it maybe is a, a good way to talk a little bit about his approach here. But you talk about a press conference that he gives literally after a sweep or whatever, right? And where he just says, 
under this administration, we don't sweep. We don't chase people out. We treat and we house. And I guess since we don't go to press conferences because they refuse to give us the the little pass that we can put in our hats. uh, When you're at one of these conferences, how hard does everybody laugh when he says stuff like this? (laughs) (laughs) No one laughs. Uh, he's a serious guy. He tells a lot of jokes, though. But um, and no one and, uh, laughs. I watch, <laughs> no, the laugh of the joke. <laughs> but um, no, I don't think people are laughing at him when he's trying to explain away the sweeps. Yeah, when he says we don't sweep, is that one of the jokes? Is that what we're just not understanding? <laughs> knock knock. Who's there? The cops <laughs> at your house. Take you away. But um, no, I mean. I think this is kind of something he's always struggled with is like the term sweep. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a game of semantics with him. Even like when I was a student reporter interviewing him for like um, when he first announced his uh, campaign for mayor, I asked him about like sweeps and he asked me not to call it a sweep, not to call them sweeps. He's like, that's dehumanizing to use that word sweep. Um, I was like, I think it's a little dehumanizing to do the action. Please don't call it a gas chamber. You know, <laughs> it's dehumanizing. Incredible. So I think that's kind of where that like, it's not a sweep logic comes from because he would like to call it something else that has a little better PR, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, an <laughs> involuntary mass move. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you you know, you sometimes refer to it in your reporting as forced displacement, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean, yeah, that's what it is. Like you're forcing people to move along from where the fuck they're living. Yeah. OK, so he doesn't want to call it a sweep. Right. But like the implication is right. Well, they're doing something else. They're offering housing. They, mm-hmm. they house and they treat. So I think that's where they try to get away from this word of sweep is they're like, well, we're going in, we're doing a month of outreach. Uh, we give them a, the residents of this encampment like a couple days notice. And then we bring in Parks and Rec, the cops, and we tell them to get the fuck out. Um, mm-hmm. But um, that's kind of the logic of it's not a sweep. Uh, this like kind of slower model and like saying there's housing refer- or not housing referrals, sorry, shelter referrals. Mm-hmm. I think that's the softening agent. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that part up, right? Because, yeah, I mean, uh, you would say like, oh, yeah, a month ahead of time, we, we send people out to offer them housing. But as you mentioned in your article, because we're so short of shelter beds and things like that, because we are constantly sweeping camps, that really they can't actually offer housing a month in advance. Right. Because they just don't know what will even be around a month down the road, right? So this is kayfabe, right? We're just We're just pretending, right? Yeah, you're totally right. Um, When I've talked to uh, workers at REACH uh, who usually do these kind of like slow encampment outreach um, projects for the city, um, they'll say, yeah, we've been out here for a month, like establishing connections, but we don't really have tiny homes right now. I mean, there's always sort of like shelter-ish beds, like even that's kind of like low in supply, but those kind of exist, like these um, overnight, uh, you can't bring any of your stuff kind of shelter mm-hmm. situations. Um, Prism. but yes, but <laughs> the things that people want or will settle for the tiny homes, um, those usually go to the sweep of the day and, um, it's hard to get someone in, um, unless you want to, from a reach employee perspective, it's just like, 
putting it in the Slack channel for your work over and over again and hoping that the Hope team picks you and your client to like go into a tiny home. And there's like 10 available a day and so many people who want a tiny shelter that it does really get prioritized for those sweep situations. And so a month in advance, it's like, okay, most of the good <laughs> offers will be the day of. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put you which, in the garden shelter shelter lottery, right? Which, and yeah. maybe you come which out. gives you no incentive to bank on that, to like make those plans to, to pack up your shit. Like you, if you don't know, if, like there's no offer, like serious offer, no guarantee of anything. And even when you get these referrals, like, you could show up and like all kinds of things could not work out. So yeah, it just seems like a lot of bullshit to make it seem like they're offering people something that they're not. Um, well, you know, before we like get into like all these sort of higher level, like details here, maybe you can take us back. Hopefully a lot of our listeners read your recent reporting on the, um, the sweep of the Aurora encampment behind the home Depot, uh, in the pit, uh, next to Lincoln towing. But maybe you could recount sort of what stand out to you as the most important details about um, some of the people you met to start with, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, the pit um, is a longstanding encampment that used to be behind um, the Aurora Home Depot. There's like kind of mixed reports on like how many people there was. City says like 26. Um, some reach employees told me as many as 40 people lived there. Um when they were doing their outreach. Um, but yeah. And since that encampment had been there for so long, people really had time to like put down roots and like physically build homes and, Mm -hmm. um, even like make a garden. And I got to talk with, um, Pedro who I called Cuba in the first article. That's a nickname he goes by and that's what he's comfortable with in the first article. But, um, I talked to Pedro and he told me about, how he had lived there after being swept two times before by the city. And he was told sort of um, by a city employee, like, if you go to this Aurora encampment, no one will mess with you. So he went there, he built his house, he built a garden. um, And then I think he lived there for about four months before he was told you have to leave, um, which he was not excited about, not thrilled about, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But that was, the thrust of the first story we wrote about the Aurora encampment. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Pedro, like I, the guy had set down roots. I mean, he put in plumbing and stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, yeah. and yeah, and I, I it, it, that really struck me because, you know, certainly in Seattle prior to the second world war and certainly all across the world and slum areas and things like this, this is what happens, right? Is that, People move on to land that's not being used and they slowly build housing over time on it, right? That starts as small shacks and then builds out and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, in modern America, we got rid of that via <laughs> policing, but have no substitute for it. We used to have a thing called public housing, but we got rid of that, too. So now that whole bottom layer of if you're if you're poor, there's like nowhere to go, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, in the case, of, the case of Pedro is heartbreaking because, I mean, you show like a picture of his kitchen, which is very nice, you know, this you know, giant garden that he had built. And I mean, do we know what happened to any of that stuff? I assume they just knocked it down. Yeah, I mean, they obviously took down the structure of his home, but I was sent I haven't been up there since, but I was sent a picture. And it looks like as of this weekend, at least the garden is still standing. So 
mm-hmm. we'll have to see if he comes back to garden or what will happen to it if he'll just yeah. die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the title of that article. If you guys want to check it out, our listeners, it's called What Will They Do With His Garden? And the second one, the follow-up, uh, Aurora Avenue sweep slowed but not stopped. Do you want to tell us about, like, yeah, how that sweep went down? Like, mm-hmm. what actually happened, you know, to these people on the day of the sweep? Yeah, so day of the sweep, um, me and Shane, who's our videographer at The Stranger, we went down there at, I think we got there at 8 a.m. and started talking with people. Um, at that time, uh, an advocacy group uh, called Stop the Sweeps, who advocates for um, people who are being swept and also helps them like on days of sweeps to like move. Um, they were already there talking to people, helping them pack up. The sweep itself started at about 9 a.m. I think um, SPD and Seattle Public Utility was also there, kind of rolled in um, and started going through. The pit is like a big road and they started walking up and down the road telling people, okay, you have 15 minutes to get out of here um, at about like, I guess, 8.50-ish. They're trying trying to push them. And um, of course, like since there are RVs, it's going to take a lot longer than 15 minutes, but that's like when they would start and when like it kind of is like we have clearance to like make you leave starting in 15 minutes. Um, But they worked like their tow trucks from – the north end and the south end and work their way through um, pulling people's cars out and uh, destroying their homes and asking them to leave. Some people uh, got shelter referrals the day of from Reach and the Hope team. Uh, There was a group of residents who were especially resistant to leaving. They built a barricade um, and that resistance sort of ended when the Hope team stepped in and found um, tiny homes and other shelter options for them. Can you say something about, from your sense of the people who are there, both the residents and the advocates, like, uh, you know, from the video and your report, your article that day, like, it seems like there's, uh, there's a sort of quixotic nature to the idea of, like, resisting one of these sweeps, like, on the day. But there was talk of that going around. And like you say, people built a sort of barricade out of shopping carts. Um, you want to describe, like, what the mood was? If that was what were the intentions mm. and, and like what it came to ultimately? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely like a couple of demands that the residents had and it basically centered around like, we want more time. Like we want there to be like a longer period of outreach. Their kind of rationale for that was like a sweep is no different from an eviction where residents like they get 30 days to, uh, to notice uh, days notice to vacate. And they want the same thing. I know that there were like kind of like whispers of like a sweep a month out, but the city really didn't give an official notice until the Friday before. Another demand they had was they want the same consistent uh, shelter options. So some people will get offered a tiny shelter, which is like much more desirable than like an overnight stay at like Otto's place, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's like a point of contention. It's like, well, why does this person get this thing and I'm stuck with this thing. Um, and then another demand was like wanting to stay together as a community. A woman we talked to in the video we produced um, really spoke to that saying that like they had built a community, like this is a neighborhood and a lot of their support service, like support system was each other. And so like to tear that apart, even if they're going to like a shelter, a tiny home, 
um, can be really like traumatizing and set people back and destabilize people. Another thing was um, the residents wanted, uh, quote, meaningful, adequate housing that fits our specific needs. Um, And for a lot of these people, like they have RVs, you know, (laughs) they have like Mm -hmm. these expensive big vehicles that they, you know, enjoy having and living in. Uh, And so the city doesn't really have a ton of resources for people who live in RVs just yet. I mean, I know King County Regional Homelessness Authority is putting money towards that. Lehigh is looking into sites to like put that into effect. But I mean, for the people at the pit, that's not an option just yet. So that's one of their demands. And then they also wanted garbage service and a working porta potty. Um, I guess that's like if they were to stay or for like future encampments that crop up, there would need to be better services for the people living there. Yeah, that, those things all make sense. Um, you know, you can imagine like, you know, the city is saying like, oh, we're, we're doing this out. We do outreach a month in advance or over the course of a month or something. But like, and that's, you're supposed to imagine, like assume some things about that. Like we're offering these, we're giving, we're dangling the keys to an apartment in front of these people and telling them, if you know you, if you're out by this date, you get that, or you can move in any time, but you have to do it by this date. We're going to sweep you. But the reality is, no, they're coming around and saying hi and like trying to like make friends and saying like, you know, I hey, I'm the person you have to butter up to like help so that I can help you get into something decent if I, if at all at some point in the future. But like, I so I, I understand the the time like ask seems like very understandable when like you're finding out three days before that, okay, on this date, you're going to be kicked out. But at that point, you have still not gotten any concrete offer of a, of a even semi-permanent place to go. Certainly nothing good. There are no really good offers. And so what are you supposed to do at that point? Like just, you know, bank on, there's no, uh, there's no reason for anyone to think there's no like established precedent that like, man, when, when, when the city and the cops show up that they're going to, you're going to get this great apartment, you know, like there's nothing well, for you to prepare for, you know, I wouldn't say you're going to get a great apartment, but there is sort of a precedent that resources are for the sweep day. I mean, caseworkers will um, tell their clients or people who are unhoused to go to a sweep day of, you know, cause that's where right. you're going to get help or people hear about a sweep and they'll camp out the night before and say, Hey, maybe I'll get, an offer for something. And that's yeah. what we saw. I saw that personally at Ballard Commons, not like super widespread, but it does happen uh, because mm-hmm. there's a precedent that this is the only way to get a shelter offer. Yeah. This is basically to comply with, uh, what is it, Martin B. Boise, the, yeah. the Supreme Court ruling that everyone, you know, every city in America just basically ignores anyway, that says <laughs> like, if you're going to kick someone off uh, public property, you have to be offering them something. Uh, and so, but that doesn't that like give away like the lie of the standing up on a podium and saying like, we don't sweep, we have, we treat and house like there's, there, there's so few resources, right? Like that they have to save all of them for the day of a sweep so that they can do the sweep with this like legal fig leaf. I mean, what do you, what is it your sense? Like, again, like sitting in these press conferences, like what is it your sense people are meant like the average Seattle resident or the, 
like actually suburban news consumer, like Seattle news market consumer is supposed to take from saying like, we don't, we don't do the, we don't sweep the thing that you went to last week at the Aurora encampment. We house and treat like what, what are people supposed to like, mm. what picture is that meant to communicate, to paint in the average idiot's mind as to like what is being offered, you know, cause they're not going to stand up there. Harold's not going to stand up there. His people I'm going to stand there there and say, listen, uh, we go around uh, and on the day of the sweep to comply with, uh, you know, federal law, we offer a congregate prison that, you know, you can have you can be in for exactly eight hours at a time, you know, without any uh, belongings or any other life attached to you for one night. And maybe if everything goes well when you show up or for a few lucky people at a time. We have a not completely hellish uh, garden shed for you to live in, less like uh, transient and and rising to the level of temporary housing. Maybe you know they're not going to say that. So what are you? What are they? What picture is Harold painting when he says yeah. we house people? Yeah, I think you're picking up on like a lot of layers of softening because it's like. Well, it's not a sweep because we offer shelter. And then you peel that back one layer. It's like, okay, what, what's the shelter look like? Um, But I think the picture that's trying to be painted is like something that involves a lot more consent than is what is happening at sweeps. Mm. I think that's kind of what's getting lost here is even with the referrals that do happen because they do make referrals and some people go and take up those offers. um, Even with those referrals, it's like, a lot of people want to stay where they're at, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's coercive in a lot of ways, especially when there are police officers there. And so I think the, the image that, that kind of quote that we keep going back to is trying to paint is that people are willingly leaving when we ask them to. And I just don't think that's the case. I don't think even if people leave, they're doing it because they want to, or because they said, you know what, you're right. City of Seattle we have just stayed on this land too damn long and it's time for us to disappear into the ether like you would like us to. And I just Mm -hmm. don't think, yeah, I don't think that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Cuba talks about that, right? Like in on video and in your article, like he's very skeptical of the idea of like resisting. Cause like ultimately like the reality, you know, he understands very clearly the proposition of these sweeps of the police being there. That ultimately, the you know, at some point, you're going to put up a level of resistance that's just going to get you killed. You know, like that's the implicit violence of having the police around. He seems to, he like, you know, really uh, mm-hmm. clearly gets that, you know. Yeah. But it's worth mentioning that in 2016, when they swept the jungle encampment by Jackson and, and uh, five there, the police did kill somebody. Yeah. The encampment. So, I mean. It's not even like a an availed threat. I mean, it's a right. thing they've done, you know. So it's it's uh, not great. But I think too, you know, when uh, I, I think when your average like homeowner or whatever hears this too, I mean, this part you're saying where like they they don't understand the coercion of it or whatever. I, I think the average homeowner too is like, 
oh, well, they hear it and they're like, oh, we're doing something we're not supposed to do, so we'll just not do it. But the average homeowner's mind, they're thinking of like when they're playing music too loud in the front yard and somebody tells them to turn it down. They, that's like their, like the only way they understand like transgression or whatever and being told by the state not to do something. Yeah, like the fully... HOA's complaining about your the color of your, the trim on your house, you know, and, and you you go along with it because, you know, you belong, yeah, I mean, you're, you have a place in society and that's what makes you deserve that. I mean, is there, I mean, just from your like life talking to just normies in Seattle or whatever, just regular people, right? Like, is there any extent that people really understand that what they're actually telling these people is like, you have to get everything you own in your life and get the fuck out of here or we're probably going to arrest you. <laughs> like, you know, is it, do people like, I, I, just, I just don't think that people understand that's what actually is being offered. Yeah, I don't know how many normies I've talked to who is. <laughs> I don't know. I have a lot of like socialist friends, so I'm trying to think um, of like the olds that I've talked to. But it seems that like I would imagine a lot of a lot of the comments I get, I guess, is like go mm. off of is that well, they're somewhere they're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. They're breaking the rules. Yeah. Like I think one person said, "Oh, what a tragedy. They are doing something they're not supposed to do and getting in trouble for it." Or something like that. In fewer words, I can't remember, but it, there's mm-hmm. kind of this idea of like they got what's coming to them, like mm-hmm. which like, okay, well, if you have no other options, what else are you going to do? So. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 disconnect is I don't know, it's hard to swallow. You know, that I mean reminds me not to uh, we, we will not say what paper, but Sidney Brownstone had written a piece about the astronomical suicide rate at the jail here and basically had come talking with people around this situation or whatever. It's just like, oh, it's because the people in the jail like non persons, you know, and everybody just kind of doesn't care if they die. <laughs> that's that's really what it comes down to. And yeah. I, that's just the only impression you get. Uh, when talking mm-hmm. to a lot of people about homelessness, right? It's that they just don't give a shit. Like yeah. it's not that they don't understand or whatever. It's that they just don't care what happens to these people. We just live in an extremely carceral and, vi- and violent like country. You know, we see people who don't conform to like our like social contract or whatever, and like no, like people don't give a shit if they live or die. So it's just like this really punitive society that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like that also makes me think of like the element of implied uh, choice that's in this rhetoric. Right. Like we're offering housing. Some people say no. I mean, I, you know, just last week I was going on this rant on this this podcast about like I think you have to be like fundamentally very stupid to end like uh, out of touch with humanity to believe that like people are turning down a good offer like and staying on the street like that that should probably imply to you that there's something wrong with what's being offered but like how to yeah how does how does how does the city square this when like does anyone ask and do you do they get any answer on to the question like well why do people turn down the housing that's offered when they do or the shelter that's offered yeah i mean i think uh before harold was elected he famously said that people who like refuse shelter and need to be punished. So it's, it's not a very like welcoming, welcomed thought that maybe someone would have standards about where they live. Um, But, you know, people, 
Uh, I've never heard the city say why people um, refuse shelter or decline shelter offers, but people decline them for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, if you have pets, you might not be able to go to certain shelters. Um, if you like use drugs, you're not going to be able to go to certain shelters. Um, if you have kids, if you have a partner, like it's just like every factor about your life makes your options that much more narrow. You know, it's like they have like pretty high standards and different standards for like every overnight shelter. Um, and then the tiny home model doesn't work for everyone because it is like managed by this nonprofit. And that can be difficult to have rules when you've been living autonomously for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too, I mean, you know, you talk to your average homeowner, particularly if there's an HOA, you know, that they're in their neighborhood or whatever. It's not like they don't bristle under rules, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, like, you know, one of, one of the people that you talk to in the, in your story says like, I'm too old to have a babysitter. And yeah. it's like, I, I think that it's fundamentally degrading and that's probably the point, but fundamentally degrading to treat people like this. That's why they don't want to do it. You know, <laughs> like seems to me, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, but, but like, yeah, I think it's like, you know, people's attitude is like, these are, you know, unpersons who deserve, they're making the choice not to take what is being offered for free from the city probably for the same reasons they've chosen to get onto the street in the first place. They make bad choices because they're like monsters or something. They're feral animals. And I, you know, so like they should submit to whatever indignities. But we have to think about, we also have to think about equity, right? Yeah. That's very important here. We need to, we need to meet folks where they are. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's a job that we're trying to do. We're trying to clear up the area. The goal is to pick up trash and debris that have been, you know, collected here over time, and it has a ripple effect to the environment, really, mm-hmm. and the health and the safety of the community. To wrap up talking about the Aurora Sweep, on the video you posted, there's this, uh, you captured the audio of this uh, spokesperson from the uh, from Seattle Public Utilities that, who's there, you know, cleaning up their alley. And I just, like, some of the things he said was like, well, you know, just the, just the, the sleaziest platitudes, like, well, you know, you we're here, we got to meet people where they're at. Where they're at, of course, is like, you know, homeless in an alley that no one can see. And then he goes on to talk about like how, well, you know, what we're here to do is uh, clean up some of the uh, sort of trash and debris that's accumulated, which, you know, you guys uh, placed over, you know, shots of people's homes and belongings. And uh, even made like this incredibly trite and lazy nod to the environment like you know like like the trash uh you know which like has an effect on the environment uh anything to add about like that kind of character that guy or that kind of character or like i mean is this just what it is to to be reporting on the city at things like this is just to like run into that type of shithead uh like on a regular basis <laughs> Uh, yeah, (laughs) I don't really know what else to add. (laughs) It's just, that's, he was one of the nicest SPU people I ran into that day, you know, Uh and I don't, I don't know how we can like talk about equity in a moment like that in a sweep. He dropped the equity bomb. The equity bomb, (laughs) true. 
You know, we should do a land acknowledgement before he swaps. Oh, oh my god! Uh, no, <laughs> but um, only in his only in his mind. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not. I don't really have anything. I think it speaks for itself. I just it was an upsetting thing to hear in the moment, and it's upsetting to hear it again. Yeah, nice. I'm going to upset our listeners by actually dropping in some of that audio. Um, okay. <laughs> And do you think, I mean, is this just, so, I mean, prior, obviously, to environmentalism becoming the thing that you could, uh, you know, cite in these, they would cite, like, public health reasons. Do you think this is just people justifying in their own mind what they're doing? You know, I mean, how do you do this job and not be like, wow, I'm probably the villain in a movie, you know? Like, if if this were a film, I'm definitely have ominous music when I show up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think SPU can kind of like compart, or is that what they're called? Seattle Public Utilities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Public Utilities, yeah. That's like also a school though. Um, but mm. I think they can probably like compartmentalize it a little different because I do think they're less like taking property and more of the people who do the cleanup of like debris. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how separate that like ends up being in practice. Um, and then like parks will do more of the like um, tear down and whatever different departments have different like responsibilities how to sweep um but i don't know i mean like i think it's like i don't don't mean to shit on him too much it's good that like people got extra time that they needed you know um but it it does feel kind of like rationalizing of like something that is just like do if maybe if you don't think that sweeps are bad like doing something to someone that they don't like you know, like yeah, at least yeah. you can think it's mean if you're not like, mm-hmm. but like if you've bought into this thing that sweeps are um, a necessary evil, you can at least think it's mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the very least. Yeah, for sure. So you've also written uh, last month about the sort of uh, Kafka-esque little prison hamlets uh, <laughs> that the uh, low income housing institute runs their strategic hamlets <laughs> yeah sorry the uh yeah the low in strategic hamlet institute um runs the yeah the uh, a as you called it a the tiny shelter monopoly in this town and you highlighted in that piece i think really like the ease with which they and the city can uh taketh away what they have given maybe start out by telling us us about uh, Julia, who was, uh, as you said in your article, despite her feeling powerless, Julia appealed Lehigh's decision to kick her out for the second time, desperate to hold on to her spot for just three months when she would be eligible to cash in her housing voucher. With her abuser returning to Seattle this past weekend, the stakes had never been higher for her. And if she could use the tiny shelter to avoid sleeping outside and running into him for the time being, she believed there was a true exit from homelessness for her in sight. Otherwise, she feared the harsh realities of living outside could cause her to fall off her path to permanent housing, especially with her abuser back in town. And there's more sort of tragic details in, in the story. But this is someone who, like, is trying to make that choice, is trying to say yes to the mm-hmm. housing. Mm-hmm. She wanted to stay in her tiny home for three months because she had another like housing thing lined up in three months, but she had some kind of, some kind of tiff with a Lehigh manager and they wanted her gone. It was at a different village actually. Mm -hmm. And then she was kicked out of that village and then got a referral to another village. 
And then that kind of disciplinary thing followed her. As you said, uh, Julia is kicked out again and then appeals for like a third time and gets let back in like eight hours later. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, the whole thing just strikes me as like uh, a kind of this really unsteady, like quicksand nightmare. You know, what is that like for people like trying who are actually making that choice and trying to get on their feet through the way the city wants them to? Yeah, I mean, um, according to Lehigh, they tell um, residents when they move in, like how they can um, use the complaint process if um, someone is uh, a manager is like mistreating them or giving them unnecessary discipline. They explain the appeals process. Um, But it is just like, as you said, like, there's no guarantee, there's no oversight that Lehigh is like, using their power over people well, like, an organism's first job is to survive. And so it's difficult to like, imagine something holding itself accountable for a bad action. Um, And so I think a lot of this could be solved with some oversight Mm -hmm. from an outside party. Because, like, the power dynamic is too great, you know? It's, like, they have, they control this person's, like, housing, you mm-hmm. know? And there's no, like, when I talked to, I went and toured a tiny home village in the south end. I was talking to um, someone who worked at Lehigh. And I was asking, like, oh, is this, like, do they have, like, like is it, like, a tenant-landlord agreement? Do they have, like, those kind of, like, rights? And he's, like, well, no, absolutely not. It's not a tenant-landlord agreement. This is a shelter and so it's interesting mm-hmm. that like this is like so close to housing when they want it to be close to housing. But when we talk about giving mm-hmm. residents rights, it's like, well, absolutely the fuck not. Um, yeah. This These people need to be controlled. And I think that's the real problem with like yeah. um, a self-contained uh, complaint system and uh, appeal system, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the the story that you have in here, I mean, what it brings to mind is the way zero tolerance was used in public housing to essentially crush public housing. I mean, any history of public housing you read in the Clinton era will also hand in hand talk about, you know, the rise of zero tolerance, tolerance, criminal justice policies now. And like, yeah, they invoked those in public housing to essentially, you know, defund, break apart, whatever public housing. And it's setting things up to fail. And, you know, Lehigh, I'm sure they're doing it because of, you know, the personal prejudices that people have against the homeless. Right. But the whole system is, you know, Kafkaesque is correct. Right. Like it's set up to fail, you know, and set up to not work. And it's draconian. Right. Like the rules are many and, you know, they treat you like a child. You know, you're talking about people who have basically been kicked out of society in one way or another, been living on the street are in these awful times in their lives. And you, but you get into a shouting match with somebody, with another resident, with someone who works there. And that's it. You're out on the street. Something that like would put a child in time out uh, or, you know, an adult who belonged to society, like, you know, maybe get kicked out of a bar, but like, that's it. Like you, you can't cross any line or the rules or you're back you're back out on the street. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, you've talked about this whole society and this homelessness response being just very punitive. It's also, I just keep coming back to this. It's very fucking convenient for the city 
to have, oh, we don't have enough shelters. We barely have enough. Uh, you know, we don't have nearly enough of these tiny uh, strategic hamlets. Well, it's real convenient then that, oh, people turn it down a lot because it's because a lot of what they offer sucks. It's real convenient that actually we churn people out of here, out of even the better stuff, the tiny housing, the tiny houses, not by putting them in a condo downtown, but by them getting kicked out bureaucratically for breaking for making some like infraction it's very convenient right like i mean i think like a lot of like when you bring up the complaint complaint like the the complaint system doesn't work and like the oversight uh issue uh when you bring up stuff like that i think the thing that um the city or lehigh will run to is like well tiny shelters do work for some people and they do and they're great for some people and i think like in a lot of cases having a door with a lock on it is better than being outside for some mm-hmm. people. Um, mm-hmm. I think I have, I can look at their report and we can see just how many of these, the ex, the exiting of homelessness rate uh, for tiny shelters. Um, it's not the highest one, um, the highest option, but if you go in a tiny house village, the King County regional homelessness authority says you have like a 45% exit rate to permanent housing. Um, and Lehigh has their own like kind of permanent housing stuff. So there's sort of a Lehigh tiny shelter to Lehigh mm-hmm. housing pipeline there. Your, your reporting was last month. They had a to- under 500 tiny houses. So, so it's not, it's, it's not a big scale program at this point. No, it looks like exits to permanent housing. King County regional homelessness authority says there have been, 482 i don't know if that's in the last year or ever though i can't <laughs> it doesn't, it's not impressive either the document right? i'm looking at does not say but <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i think we've covered a lot of ground hannah um again like really i think this is about us linking to your uh work in the stranger on this um so that our listeners who aren't yet reading that and, you know, read these articles we've talked about and maybe then continue to in the future. Um, you know, is there any anything you want to, like, tell us to watch out for? I mean, of what's going on in the the city on this issue or things you're going to be covering coming up? Like, uh, is, is there stuff we should be paying more attention to with the, you know, the regional homeless authority? Is that going to be the the are those, are they going to be the people we hate? for the next year or something like when they really get up and running or like, um, yeah, what's the, what's the, the near term future of this and, or what are your thoughts on like where it's all going? Yeah. I mean, always, always look to what the King County regional homelessness authority is doing. They like own all the contracts now. So Mm. they're in charge of a lot of our response to homelessness. Uh, the budget process for the city's coming up, which is Mm. super, super boring. Um, but super, super important. So you should definitely, uh, I'll be covering that and there'll be definite implications for like our response to homelessness, for policing, um, housing, all the things that you should care about a lot, um, will be discussed in those, um, negotiations coming up this fall. But that's the main thing to look out for, I guess, coming up. Okay. Yeah. Well, as far as I can tell, I mean, just one quick last question, though. As far as I can tell, the Seattle Times has been cheering on homeless sweeps in the city since 1909. So will 2023 be the year that it works? (laughs) 
Maybe. I don't know. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only have like a hundred and, you know, ten odd years of yeah. trying it. So you love a comeback story, you know? <laughs> Figure out how to make it work. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for indulging us uh, and, you know, uh, talking to us about uh, this stuff that you actually follow and put the the work in to, like, understand and 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 to speak to people to actually, you know, I mean, the work you do is uh, it gives us a window into not just the city, but also to, like, you know, people's lives who are experiencing this hell of both you know be having been kicked out of society and dealing with the city and seattle homeowners uh wanting to get rid of them and you know we wouldn't have that without the work you're doing it's not like there's like you know an overabundance of good city reporting in any place in america so like you're one of the one of a, a small handful of people doing it uh so it's really appreciated and um yeah thanks for coming on was so nice thank you so much i really appreciate y'all and this was a fun conversation so yeah anytime thanks thank you